0: With church history and is the four weeks, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and it's a time to kind of refocus on what really Christmas is about. Um, so Janine, we have a video to show just to kind of catch you up on what our teaching series has been about. That's a pretty exciting song, isn't it? it gets me pumped up every time. Okay, so um, we've talked about the fact, what What are some lessons we can learn from Christmas? What's the point of Christmas? So we've talked about that God has pursued us, that part of the message is that he, you matter enough and I matter enough to Jesus that he pursued us, that he, you know, that this has been a plan that's been established for thousands of years before he was even born. Um, we talked about how not only did he pursue us, but he invited us, even if we're imperfect, even if we don't feel like we have it all together, to be part of his story on the earth. And um, last week we talked about uh, us in let me say it right, okay, God being with us and us inviting him in to be part of our stories, and are we really walking our daily lives with him? So um, we're going to culminate today, we're going to talk about kind of the obvious one, right? Jesus came to be our savior, but in order to be a savior, you need people who are willing to be saved. And I've been thinking of this image all week as I've been working on this of someone hanging From a cliff, which I would never do because I'm terrified of heights. Um, but imagine someone hanging from a cliff, but you know, being in trouble, not like enjoying it, like rock climbing, um, which I don't see a difference between the two, but being in trouble, hanging from a cliff, and someone saying, let me help you, um, let me rescue you, let me save you. You still, as the person hanging from the cliff, have a choice to make, don't you? I mean, you could have the most incredible savior ever, the strongest, best rock climber in the history of the world could be there with all the ropes and everything. But if you refuse to let go and be saved, there's nothing he can do for you or she, right? So that's the concept I want to talk about today. And, you know, I think that most of us just at face value, we think we're pretty competent. When we think about our lives, we think, you know what? pretty capable. I think that about myself, pretty capable guy. I think I can handle a lot of stuff in my life. And I think that is one of the things that gets in the way of this whole, I need a savior mentality. And um, I want to show you just a video clip from a really funny movie. Most of you have probably seen it because it's kind of old. Um, and if, you, if you're not familiar with the concept, this guy's name is Evan. And um, God shows up in the form of Morgan Freeman to instruct him to build an ark and i think the interaction is did i say the right person okay good i heard whisperings and i was like "Uh oh i messed up all right um i think the interaction is indicative of how we often react to needing god's help so let's watch this quick clip all right so (laughs) the danger of showing really good clips like that is that the rest of the teaching is kind of downhill afterwards if you can't compete so just forget about that um I, I like that clip because I think that is what we are alike in our lives. I like when he's driving and, and he's like, I'm handsome, I'm successful. Like, we do that. I think, you know, have you ever seen that Saturday Night Live skit where you look in the mirror and pat yourself on the back every day? I'm a good person. People like me. Nobody? No one's one person, but she, she doesn't want anyone to know she's seen it. All right. All um, right. I think that we do, we talk ourselves up, we try to believe we've got it all together, we've got it all together, and you know what I think? I think we often exist, like we live our lives in the sphere of what we can control, and and for the most part, most of our day-to-day lives, waking up, getting the kids to school, going to work, whatever, going to college, going to class, you know, we live within this sphere of, I can handle it, and And I think even if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, even if you've been a follower of Jesus for for years, 20 years, 30 years, we still do this. You may have had this moment where you said, yes, I need Jesus as a Savior 20 years ago, but you don't live your life like you're relying on someone who's saving you. We just get through the day because basically we don't ever get outside of that area. And then you know what gets our attention is crisis. Crisis often blows up that bubble. Because I think what happens is when we live in that circle of what we live in most of the time, we lull ourselves into a false sense of security where we think, I'm okay. Things are okay. Life is okay. I can handle what's going on. I'm doing a good job. I'm successful. I'm handsome, right? And what, what happens with crisis is it blows that up a little bit. And you start to realize, oh my gosh. Like, have you ever had an experience in your life where the floor was pulled out from under you? And you're just like, I wasn't prepared for this. I have no rule book for what to do now. And how can we get more in touch with that feeling on a daily basis and not rely on those crises? So I just want to share some stuff with you about myself. Real quick here. Really nice picture. So if you only knew these things about me, all right? And I just, I just want to be honest because I... um. I have discovered I've been alive for 40 years, and if I live my life according to how I want to live my life, uh, and I, even though I'm very... Kid, don't take a picture of that. So, come on. It's on Instagram already. So I if I live my life according to my own ideas and my own strengths, and I, I think I'm a capable, nice, you know, friendly guy, but I tend to to head towards self-destruction. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? So here's a few things about myself. I'm selfish, um, and I would like to come off as not, okay? But let's be honest. Like, when I'm generous, because I like to be generous, I like to look generous, I want you, most of all, most of all, I want you to think I'm generous, right? But when I'm generous, I'm rarely generous to the point where it costs me anything that I really want right? Like when I give, I've never given in my life to the point where I couldn't still get what I wanted to get. There was, there's never been a time where I've given so much that I was like, you know what? We, I mean, I, I can't think of anything except for extreme ideas. We can't eat for a week or what's something less than that. We're not going to go out to eat for a month because we decided to help this family and we gave that whole part of our budget. Now we give and we still go out to eat. And especially in America, we give and we're like, well, I don't have enough. We just put it on credit cards, right? So I'm, but I'm selfish. I, even when I'm trying to be selfless, I'm often thinking, man, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I'm getting something out of this. I'm sinful. I know that for those of you out there who are theologians, you're thinking, I believe all of those are sins, but true. But when I say sinful, I mean, I, I am pleasure seeking. I, I want to do with my life what feels good to me. And I do not want to do with my life what does not feel good to me. And this goes for all areas of my life. I want to be able to eat everything that I want to eat, whenever I want to eat it, and have a body that looks like Kevin's. And I just can't, you know, that's just not, that's just not, but that's what I want in life. I don't want to have to run 10 miles when I wake up and then, you know, have a gym in my... Garage and work out 10 hours a day. I don't, even, I don't know how you do anything else with your life, but I, I, but I am committed to eating ice cream. Like, I have a similar commitment to ice cream that Kevin has to working out, and I think it shows. So um, I'm, I'm arrogant. I really am. I really think, overall, I'm doing a pretty darn good job. And just to give you an example, this week I was asked to do a chapel at a little kid's school, and I went, it's just tiny, tiny, like 30 kids. And so um, I played a game, and within about uh, three minutes into the game, I made one of the kids cry. Um, we, we tried to sing some carols, and um, I had them in the wrong key. So it was like, joy to the world. And I practiced them ahead of time, and they seemed fine to me. But then we sang them with the kids, and I was like trying to get the kids into it. I was like, kids, let's all stand up. And they wouldn't stand up for me. And so then I kind of yelled at them. I was like, what's wrong with you? And then uh, so I made them cry. We sang some horrible songs. And um, then I gave a lesson that I, like, asked my kid later. My own kid was there, and she couldn't remember what we talked about. So, literally walking out to the parking lot, I was thinking to myself, I did a pretty good job. I, I actually had that thought. Like, I am so, I, I, I'm not lying to you. I thought, I am so good at working with kids. I, I really, I just have a gift. And there was, like, a little bit of reality. It was like, you do, re- were you there? Like... But that's me. I'm very arrogant, I'm, and I'm, I'm hoping that I'm doing this, and you're like, yes, I see myself in those, too. Like, feel free to join me, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm broken. Um, there's parts of my life that hurt, and what I sometimes choose to do is ignore them. I don't know if you're like that at all, but um, there are parts of my life that, you know, things bring them back up, and I'm like, yeah, maybe I didn't fully deal with that. Eh you know, and just kind of move on. And I'm terrified of life. No, have you ever thought, I'm just like, think about, have you ever thought about how powerless we are? I mean, just really, and I'm talking about, we live in this circle of, I can handle life. Things are good, right? Things are in my control. If I do A and B, C happens most of the time. But you know what? And this is what terrifies me if I think about it. I have like no control. I have no way of guaranteeing that the people I love will be alive tomorrow. Do you ever, like some of you are closer to that because someone you love has passed away recently. Um, you know, um, the sisters, my wife and her two sisters, they made a meal for um, a kid who's in, you know, suffering from cancer. We don't know what's going to happen. This family is spending their Christmas in the hospital with their kid whose body is riddled with cancer. I mean, I don't know. There's no guarantee. I had a, I had a friend in, uh, in high school, who, um, in, in middle school actually, who just one morning his parents found him. He didn't wake up. You just. I have no control over what my kids are gonna do when they grow up. I have no control over whether they're gonna be successful or not. I have no control over whether they're gonna be good people. I mean, I talk about this with them and I say, listen, I'm laying out for you the best that I can as a father, but you are the ultimate decision maker when you're at that party, when you're driving that car, when you're with that girl or boy, which she's not gonna be because we won't let her, but um, (laughs) when, when you're older and you have decisions to make about money or friendship, you are the decider. You're like President Bush. You're the decider. Anybody that joke? No? Nobody? I am old. Dad, did you get that joke? Yeah. Thank you. All right. <laughs> One other old guy in the room. Okay. Terry Really, like, I'm, it's just, it's scary how little control we have. We think we have, but if we really are honest, we have very little control control over the things that really matter most to us. So Merry Christmas. That's it. Goodbye. Have a good night. But I, I wanted to just like I want to go a little bit deeper with you. Just like a different level of brokenness, if you would just one one more level of brokenness here. <laughs> if you really want to talk about issues <laughs> yeah that's that's Jonathan happy right there (laughs) all right so I'm gonna leave that up there for a while what are you what are we gonna do all right honestly so I, I don't think I've said anything that's untrue and you're I know you're with me like you're not perfect you have you have problems in your life if you were honest, you would, you would say, yes, even though I'm capable and I have skills and talents and abilities, there are things outside of my control. I have weaknesses. I have things that I do that hurt other people. I have things that I do that hurt myself. I'm self-destructive. And that's the, that's the like, step to needing a savior. There's like an admission of need that is hard for humans. It's hard for us to admit we need help. So what do we do with this brokenness, this sinfulness, this pain? And that's where the story of Christmas really comes in. So I want to read to you the typical Bible story from Luke 2, because it's Christmas Eve and every pastor in the world is doing this, so I didn't want to be left out. Okay, here we go. This is written by Luke, who is a follower of Jesus, um, and he is a doctor. And when he started off, if you read the beginning of his book, he says, I wrote this so people would know the truth about the life of Jesus, and so this is um, a, a letter, a book that he wrote to recount the historical events, and if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, you, you came because you come to church on Christmas, and, and I think that that's awesome, we should be together on Christmas, but maybe you've, you wonder, like, you're like, why should I believe this stuff, the, the, the Bible that everyone talks about, I don't really give it a whole lot of credence, I hear you. So I want to give you some insight into this today. This is, don't think about this as the Bible. Think about this as a book written by a guy. This is literally a person who lived on earth named Luke. We have historical evidence that he lived on the earth, that he followed Jesus. He knew Jesus. He studied Jesus. He interviewed the disciples, the followers of Jesus. These books weren't written hundreds of years after Jesus died where there would be room for legend and lies to build. This was written within the same generation. There are people living who were reading this who were there during that time. And so here's what he said: Look, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while that guy was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So let's pause real quick because I want to connect you in with history here. I want you to see that this isn't a religious book. I know, dangerous, right? It's not. This is... His, historical. So this guy, Caesar Augustus, his real name was Octavian. And he uh, was the, I don't know how to say it the other way, but his great uncle was Julius Caesar. So he's the great nephew? Sure. He's a great nephew. All right. The great uncle was Julius Caesar. You guys heard of that guy? Most of you heard of that guy. Nobody's heard of Julius Caesar, President Bush. <laughs> this is the most uneducated crowd ever. It's like, just tell us, Christian. We don't know anything. All right. Julius Caesar, my dad knew him. I think he was alive during that day, right? Yeah, okay. Um, Okay, so Julius Caesar, the year before he died, adopted Octavian as his son and made him the sole heir of his kingdom. But when he died, there was a fight. So these three people, Mark, Antony, that guy, I can't pronounce, and Octavian, They formed this thing, which you may have remembered from history class, called the Triumvirate, and they tried to rule for a while, and then two of them pushed out Mark Antony, and then eventually Octavian beat Lepidus and Cleopatra and basically just like ruled the known world. He was just the man, and he brought what was called peace to Rome, Pax Romana, for hundreds of years, over 200 years, which is close to how long the United States has been around. For that long, he brought peace and prosperity to the whole known Mediterranean world. The whole area around the Mediterranean Sea had never been unified under one government until this time. They they brought prosperity. They brought peace. He brought education. He brought freedom of religion in a lot of ways. Um, this is a pretty intense time, but... He also decided that he was pretty good, and so he took the name Caesar Augustus. And what that means is he said, I'm not, just, I'm not just a, he was first called an imperator with an I, and then he changed to an emperor, which means he took on divinity. And he said, I'm so good, I'm basically God. And they believed it, and they wrote this inscription about him that I want to read to you. So yeah, we just shifted into history class. If anybody here is a history teacher, you're going to love this. So this is the inscription. I want to read this to you, and it does have a point. Don't worry. So this is a, a literally an inscription that you can find, the pre en calendar inscription that they wrote um, about his birthday. This is about Caesar Augustus' birthday, and they started a calendar based on him. Since Providence, so their sense of fate which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior. This inscription was written nine years before the birth of Jesus. This is like current events when Jesus comes on the scene. So what are they calling this guy? They're calling him the savior of the world Sending him as a savior, both for us and all of our descendants for all time, that he might end war and arrange all things, since he, by his appearance, excelled even our expectations. Thank you. Surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done, basically just saying, this is the best it'll ever get. And since the birthday of the God, Augustus, was the beginning of the good tidings for the world that came by reason of him. And then it goes on. And I want to point this out to you. Good tidings for the world. Does that sound familiar to anybody on Christmas? That's the same Greek word. That's the gospel, the gospel that we use as Christians to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the exact same word. They were already talking about it. When early Christians and Jesus himself started talking about the good news, they were borrowing common language from the current culture they were living in, and they were juxtaposing Jesus over Caesar Augustus. They were saying, look, this guy, Caesar Augustus, he's the best thing you guys have ever seen. He's brought peace to the whole known world. Many of you worship him as a God. He claims to be a savior and to bring you the good news. But let me tell you about Jesus. And this is all what Luke, Luke's writing this on purpose. So let's keep reading Luke. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem in the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary. So this is the whole census. And part of what this guy was doing was showing his muscle. He was like, I am so powerful. I can make all of you do this. And he wanted to count how many people he had. So he was pledged to be married to him, was expecting a child. While they were there, time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And here's where I want to get to this interesting part. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid. Look at this. I bring you, and this is the exact same word, that they were using. So these angels, whether you believe this or not, you know, the account from Luke is that there's these shepherds who really have no reason to make this up. Their shepherds are pretty much uh, the lowest totem pole, and they're out in the field. There's a lot of stuff we could talk about here, like why does God decide to reveal himself to the lowest totem pole first? Just interesting stuff about God's character. I bring you the good news that you have all been waiting for. You thought it was Caesar Augustus, but I bring you the good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a true savior has been born to you. And the rest of his life, Jesus had his followers pushing him to become like Caesar Augustus, pushing him to be a military leader, a political leader that would topple Rome and make Israel the, the capital and Jer- Jerusalem, the capital in Israel, the main power of the world. But he knew that no matter how hard man tried within man's systems and man's powers, we can never solve the problems of the heart. You could have all the Pax Romana you wanted. You could have all the Caesar Augustus you wanted, but it was never gonna work and it didn't work. Right, because Caesar Augustus's reign, is it still happening? <laughs> no, it's over because It didn't solve the matters of the heart. It didn't address what's going on on the inside. And that's the the good news that Jesus brought, is that he could save us from ourselves, that he could save us from our inside, from the stuff that I just shared about myself, that he could save us and that he's eternal in the sense that he can save us from that stuff we can't predict, the future that we are so unable to control and predict. So I wanted to show you those two things in this book, in this text, because I think Luke, as an author, is trying to say, you still have this decision to make today. So who is your Savior? That was a lot of, like, textual stuff, so now I'm going to talk about it for a little bit. Who is your Savior? Who is my Savior? We have the same choice to make that Luke was trying to say. You can either rely on man and man's ways, or you can rely on Jesus, You can either rely on yourself or you can rely on Jesus. Who is your Savior? Who are you looking to? And this is the great gift. If you want to boil it down, we say Christmas. It's Christmas. So what? So what is that Jesus came, right? For unto us a Savior has been born. He came to save us. I want to talk about what that means in the next five minutes. So first... Who is your Savior? There's three questions I want to ask you that can help you define, help you think about who your Savior is. First, who are you holding on to? See, you've got to let go of something before you can hold on to something else. Um, I had Eden at a park recently. Eden's my eight-year-old daughter, and she was doing that big climbing thing that's like the red ropes that go up to a top, and she was pretty high up climbing, and then a bee came out of nowhere and attacked her. And she is terrified of bees. So she's hanging from this rope and she's screaming, bloody murder, you know, and and I'm not on the rope, so I'm like down on the ground, but I'm under her and I'm telling her, just let go. Because I know that if she lets go, I'll save her. I will also I will not only catch her, but I will get deliver her from the terror of the bee, right? In that moment I was the savior. It felt good. But you know what she had to do? She had to let go. And she was terrified to let go because she didn't trust me more than she trusted herself. And that is just who we are to a T. We might be holding on and and objectively, if we looked at our life, we'd be like, I am not doing this well. But it's so hard to let go and fall into the arms of Jesus but he is waiting for you. He is waiting and willing to help you. So what are you holding on to in your life? Now listen, you might be in this room and you might say, listen, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've got this. This isn't for me. You know, I would challenge you with that. Because there's a verse that we talk about um, in the Bible sometimes that tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, which means to me that salvation is not just a one-time commitment. Like It's not like, hey, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Now I can just live my life. No. We tend to retake, re-hold on to things that are not good for us. You might have been a Christian for 30 years, but you are holding on to your pride, if you were honest. You are holding on to putting yourself first. Here's another question we can ask. Who do you trust? See, this is the crazy verse that I didn't didn't show you. After he says, a savior will be born to you, he says, and this will be a sign to you. This is the angels. This will be a sign to you. Now listen, if angels came from heaven right now and said, the savior of the world is about to appear and he is gonna bring peace to the world. This is good news. It will cause great joy for all people. Here's the sign. You're probably gonna be thinking there's gonna be something big, some kind of like amazing sign, right? He's like, here's the sign, here's the sign. I got it, you ready? You ready? It's a baby in a feeding trough. You know, and the shepherds are like, what, we gotta go see that. That's so weird. But that's what, you know, a manger, that's just like manger scenes have been made to look really pretty for Christmas just to make money. But this was no pretty thing. First of all, a baby was just born. And if anyone's been there, you know that's no pretty thing that's going on there, okay? We talked about that last week. I don't want to go there again. But imagine, have you ever, like, been around animals? Like, they're not clean. And, like, I I took a tour. I have a friend who owns a farm um, where they uh, grow cows and stuff like that. Grow cows? In the field, they grow them. They, uh... But they do, what's the word? They breed them. They breed cows, thank you. They raise them, sure, whatever. I'm sticking with grow. They grow cows and milk them. And so uh, anyway, I saw where they eat and they're like these huge animals like slopping up this food and it's going everywhere and it's just like stuff's dripping out of them and like, I wouldn't like walk up and be like, I'm putting my baby there, you know? Like that is a gross scene and I think, If you read between the lines, it's so interesting because God is not like, if if you're, listen, if you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I want to trust God with my life. I understand because God is not going to do what you think he's going to do. If you were to let go and say, God, take my life. It is, you you might like try to write out like, here's what I would like. It is not like Santa Claus, okay? You do not get what you want. Following Jesus is an adventure and he often does what you need and not what you want. I was uh, in Belize this year. And I like to be in control of things, especially driving. I like to drive. And we took our teenagers on a mission trip to Belize. And I kind of felt like somewhat in responsible for the lives of these teenagers who their parents have entrusted me with. And our very first experience of driving, we got into this bus with this Belizean bus driver. And this guy would go 50, 60, 70 miles an hour. And I'm not kidding you, in the rain at night, down mountainous hills through sharp S-turn curves. And there were times, I, I mean, I, this is not exaggerating. I literally stopped talking to people around me and just started to pray. And I just say, Jesus, please don't let us die in Belize on a bus. I mean, we were like, it felt like at times, you can attest to this, right? Teenagers, it felt like we were on two wheels at times. It was like, oh, oh. you know, and I was totally nothing I could do about it. Totally out of control. There was nothing I could do. And whether or not I liked it, by getting into that bus, I was saying, "What's his name? Mark? Marconi. Marconi. Marconi, I trust you with my life. The lives of two of my children, my father, and 20 other teenagers who I'm responsible for. Never met you in my life before. Go for it. We trust our lives to people all the time. And Jesus is here saying, will you trust me with your life? Listen, it's not going to be like you think it's going to be. I'm just warning you ahead of time. And that's why at City Light, we don't pressure people to say yes to Jesus. We want you to think about it. But it's the best thing you can do with your life. And a third way you can see who your Savior is is you can ask yourself, where am I I going? So what are you holding on to in your life? Who are you trusting with your life? And where are you going? Where's the direction that you're going? If you look through the, the, the story of Jesus' life, every person who comes in contact with Jesus, their life is changed. Their life trajectory is radically altered. And it doesn't matter who you are. And he doesn't play favorites. I mean, you you can look, there's, there's rich, there's poor, there's men, there's women, there's old, there's young, there's Israelites and there's Gentiles. It literally doesn't matter. To every person who comes in contact with Jesus, the future of their life is changed. And so I just want to put this out there for you today. You know, I thought for a long time about this teaching. Like, what if, we, if we're going to ask the question, it's Christmas, so what? What do we really need to say? Yes, he's, he's pursued you. Yes, he's invited you into a story. Yes, he's with you. But most importantly, he's saying, I would love to be your Savior. I would love to save you. You have this stuff that you're dealing with. If you're at that place and you're like, I can't do this on my own. I can't handle this on my own. That's a big step. That's part of letting go. But Jesus has a great future for you if you're willing to trust him. So we're going to sing one more song. This is like a, one of our, a special song. There's going to be an awkward transition because I realized I have to start this song on guitar and I'm not holding my guitar. Okay. So let's turn on the microphones and stuff. Nathan's going to start it. Could we stand together? I'd just like to pray for you as we end. Um, if you're here today and you are saying, this is me, I've been away. I, I've been saying I'm a Christian, I've been saying I'm a follower of Jesus, but I, I know I haven't been trusting God with my future. Um, there's some people over there against the wall that would love to pray for you. Just, you can head over there during this song if you'd like. And if you're here today and you're like, I've, I've never really heard it explained that way, like, I get it for the first time in my life. Jesus has been tugging at your heartstrings. Um... You don't have to, like, make a big decision. There's no, like, weird ceremony that's going to happen. But you can go over there and talk to someone just so that we can talk to you and you can not be alone and we can pray for you. So I'd encourage you to do that. And um, so let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth to save us. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you, God, that there's an alternative to us trying to do everything on our own. And I pray as we sing this last song that your love for each of us would fill our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.